It's episode three of the GateWorld podcast. This show is coming to you from GateWorld.net, the only site created by a monkey banging randomly on a keyboard. If you're looking for the latest Stargate news and special features, head over to www.gateworld.net. In this week's podcast, we're talking about Friday's new episode of Stargate Atlantis, Broken Ties. We'll also debrief David on his trip to Comic-Con this weekend, and we'll give you a preview of our upcoming interview with actor Michael Shanks. But first, as always, we'll run down the latest news and features from the Stargate universe and from GateWorld. This show has been rated U for uninteresting by the Tok'ra High Council. Yeah, but what do they know? The GateWorld podcast starts right now. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. I'm Darren Sumner, and with me, as always, is Garth. I mean, uh, David Reed. No, it, no, I'm I'm very hoarse tonight. I'm not David Reed. <laughs> David, how are you I'm, feeling? Ah, uh, like Barry White. Um, no, I just it's been a it's been a long uh, five days, and it's it's good to be home, and it's good to be getting back into my routine. And uh, I'll be telling you all about it in uh, just a few minutes. Yep, David comes back to the Gate World podcast straight from the San Diego Comic-Con, and we'll talk much, much more about that soon. But first, let's jump into this week's trivia. Are you ready to be stumped? Um, are you ready to lose? <laughs> I always lose. Just look <laughs> at last week. Uh, I've uh, tried to pick three slightly more difficult Stargate trivia questions for David this slightly week. Slightly more difficult, he in says, the hopes ladies and that gentlemen. I can stump him at least once, if not completely embarrass him on air. <laughs> That's the attempt. How long can we go before we can get David completely embarrassed on air? Okay, be my guest. Question number one for David. When the NID stole the touchstone from the planet Madrona... General Hammond called upon an old intelligence contact to track them down. What is the name of this man? I do not. You, you stumped me. I have, I have no clue who that is. I, I remember what he looks like. I remember that they met outside in a park. And I remember that uh, this guy owed Hammond a favor. And now they're even. But, I, okay, yes, you stumped me. I have no clue who it is. Who is it? Uh, his name is Whitlow. Whitlow. Played by actor Jerry Wasterman. Appeared in uh, season two's Touchstone. Very good. You already stumped me. Now, see, I'm surprised. It's uh, is it is it better for me to pick questions that are from ten year old episodes or from the brand new stuff that you haven't written Omnipedia entries for yet? You know, frankly, my Stargate knowledge is the most vague at the very beginning of SG One mm-hmm. and uh, the very most recent episodes of Atlantis. But everything in between, I know, I know pretty rock solid. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. Your long term so. memory is going, and my short term memory you're apparently. Old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm 25 now. Question two. In season two of Stargate Atlantis, a little bit more recently, the team visits a planet where the local magistrate has made a deal with the Wraith. They'll keep their prison colony populated with criminals for the Wraith to feed on, and the Wraith will leave the rest of them alone. Name this civilization. Um, the Aletians. Aletians is exactly right. Good job. Yes, uh, thank In season you. two's uh, sixth episode, Condemned. Yes, played by uh, their leader, played by a wonderful actor whom I cannot think of the name of right now. You know, that's just a great guy. He he plays a really good villain, and he was also the canon mm-hmm. in season three's um, Demons. Mm-hmm. Yep, season three of SG One. All right, you're uh, one for two so far. Let's yep. find out if this is going to be a winning night or a losing night. 
<laughs> it's already a losing night as far as I'm concerned. Go ahead. <laughs> the third and final question. When Kronos captured SG-1's robot duplicates in Season 4's Double Jeopardy, mm-hmm. what was the name of the woman responsible for studying them? Oh, she's the, um, she's the Gould, uh, his scientist... You know, I can I can frankly talk like this, and while I'm talking to you like this, I can look up on the Wikipedia and find it, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's is, does it start with a J? It does start with a J, and it's, uh, um, it's a it's a female Goa'uld underlord. Yeah, I want to say Janice, but that's um that's uh, that's Atlantis. You've got the first like two letters right. Um, uh, Jaren, J- uh, oh, Jaden. Oh, we got it. Pulled Is it, it out at the last second. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, I haven't watched the episode for a while, but but yeah, Jaden, Jadin, or Jaden, J A apostrophe D I N. Yeah, um, she. Yeah, that that name was never mentioned on screen, but uh, as you know, it, if it's in the end credits, it falls under our canon. Yeah, for the wow. Omnipedia. I'm impressed, Mr. Reed. Thank you. <laughs> I, I saved that one for last because I thought it was the hardest, and you uh, you got the first one wrong and just nailed it. Yeah, the, the names are really hard because they're the Omnipedia itself has ca- over two thousand characters cataloged. Yeah, and that does, that says nothing about the rest of the that little subsite. Well, that's a final score this week of two out of three. I did a little bit oh. better stumping you than last week, but uh, yeah, good job. Thank you. Thank you. Send in your really hard Stargate trivia questions to webmasteragateworld.net now, and I'll try to stump the geek again next week. <laughs> Here's your look at the latest Stargate news from GateWorld for July 29th, 2008. The big news of the week is Comic-Con, the massive fandom event that took place late last week and over the weekend in San Diego. This year was probably the biggest event for the Stargate franchise, as we'll talk about with David much more in a few minutes. Both SG-1 and the Atlantis casts had their panels and signed autographs. The video game Stargate Worlds was showcased on the convention floor and at a panel, and the new action figures were showcased. Also, Stargate Continuum had its big premiere event on the red carpet on board the USS Midway. Which was an amazing experience, let me tell you. It was just, it was just incredible. You know, this, this has been coming for a while, this red carpet premiere on the Midway, but I had no idea that it would be as amazing as it was. You know, I, I guess it, I just put it out of my mind and, and said, you know, this is coming, and then it was here, and it was like, whoa. <laughs> so, aircraft carrier. And a screen in the middle of the aircraft carrier that is that is got to be like half a football high, half a football field. And that was a very small kitchen television screen that we watched it on, by the way. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was really good. Yeah, the venue from the photos looked uh, looked really impressive. The aircraft carrier and the fighter jets and everything that was there. I took a couple of 360 degree shots. You may have noticed several shots next to one another, and I and it was my original intention to uh, sew them together into a panoramic view, but I, I just haven't had the time yet. It's just been go go go, even after getting home. Look for our complete coverage of Comic Con now at GateWorld, including those two massive photo galleries. The convention gallery has more than 300 high resolution photos, and David's Continuum Premiere Gallery has well over a hundred. An announcement on the future of the Stargate franchise is imminent. Executive producer Brad Wright told the crowd at Comic-Con on Friday that MGM wants both a third DVD movie and Stargate Universe, the third television series which has been on the drawing board for a couple of years now. Deals are reportedly very close. 
but the I's still need to be dotted and the T's still need to be crossed. Wright told GateWorld, we're very close. Stay tuned to GateWorld.net and this podcast, and we'll bring you the big news the moment it arrives. And, of course, this podcast is coming out on Tuesday, July 29th, the day we've all been waiting for. Stargate Continuum is in stores now in the United States and Canada. It's the second DVD movie that stars the cast of SG-1 in a really fun time travel adventure. Pick it up on DVD or Blu-ray disc, and then be sure to tune in for our special bonus podcast this Friday. In that episode, we'll finally let the spoilers fly as we make Continuum our main topic of discussion. In the meantime, check out our formal review of the movie now on the website. Here's a look at some of the new content you'll find on GateWorld this week. In last week's podcast, we gave you an early preview of our new interview with Martin Wood, who directed Stargate Continuum. That's a video interview that runs nearly an hour, so we split it up into two parts, and they're both online now. Martin talks at length about the making of the movie, which is out today in the United States, about the Arctic shoot and making the jump from Stargate to Sanctuary. To help fans get ready for Stargate Continuum, we've recently published the Stargate Continuum Viewer's Guide. If you are new to SG-1, or if it's just been a while since you've watched certain key episodes, this primer will give you a crash course in everything you need to know heading into the movie. What's the deal with Ball and his clones? Who are those Tok'ra? How can you travel through time in the Stargate universe? This guide answers all these questions and more. You'll also find that short list of recommended episodes if you'd like to rewatch them before popping in Continuum. That list includes 1969, 2010, Abyss, Lost City, Reckoning, Ex Deus Machina, and Insiders. All of these episodes factor into Continuum in some way. And finally, we have a brand new interview with Michael Shanks coming this week. Gate World's newest contributor, Chad Colvin, sat down with Michael at the official creation convention this year in Vancouver. Shanks talks about the Arc of Truth, Continuum, and his upcoming project with Christopher Judge, Rage of Angels. Here's a sneak preview. I couldn't go to the Arctic when we were filming, uh, when we were filming that portion of, of the movie, and so Brad Wright, the, the, the author of the, the uh, screenplay, had to find a way to take Mike, to take Daniel Jackson out of uh, the scenes in the Arctic, shot in the Arctic, and so the easiest way he had to do was to have Daniel uh, have an injury that um, prevents him from being there. That injury then is it's tracked throughout, and. Uh, I get to play aspects of how that injury has affected the character and his life and his um, and his uh, 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 who this new person is that he becomes as a result of this and, and the circumstances as well that, that of which he got it and the circumstances that he's living in now and who he's become maybe a bit cynical maybe a bit jaded maybe a bit I told you so maybe a bit um, going a little dark in some places so um, um, that was fun to play because it was simply a problem-solving thing for the, for the writer to write, and then Brad tracked it and followed it through, and, and so there's a, a, an emotional undercurrent that allowed me as an actor to play that I thoroughly enjoyed. Daniel Jackson will visit Atlantis in the mid-season two-parter, the first half of which will air in the U.S. this September. David, let's talk a little bit about your trip to Comic-Con last week. Uh, how much time do we have? Uh, five minutes. Uh, huh. Keep it brief. <laughs> Good luck. Now, did your week and, begin with with the USS Midway on Thursday? I, I got out there Wednesday night and stayed with uh, my my new employer, who I'm now working for since Stargate Worlds. And we uh, went to the convention on Thursday. So actually, the first day of Comic Con was on was on for me was on Thursday, and that's what I had first. Checked out the booth. They did an amazing job. We had a Stargate there. 
um, which mm-hmm. was uh, scaled down a little bit because uh, you couldn't get any higher than, than 15 feet in the Comic-Con floor, and the Stargate itself is 22 feet in diameter uh, on its outside. So we couldn't bring that one in. But uh, the Stargate booth was just absolutely amazing. You got to take your picture with, uh, some, with, uh, with four different Jaffa, and then you got to walk up the ramp, and we had a camera installed that recognized when you were moving in front of it. Hmm. And so the, the puddle would react to your movement. Hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a relatively new piece of technology. I saw it demonstrated in, in Vegas earlier this year, and it was just so well done. Everyone had a really good time. They handed out dog tags, and, and they did several demos of Stargate Worlds. That game has progressed so much since my departure. It's absolutely amazing how far they've come with it now. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. And then the Continuum premiere on Midway Thursday night was absolutely extraordinary. The cast and crew showed up in two limos in force, along with Jewel State and Bob Picardo, and it was just a really, really good time. My boss at, uh, at uh, 20th Century Fox, Jenny Steven, I love you, Jenny, uh, gave Gateworld red carpet access. And, and we, had, we had, Darren, we had a little, a little placard in front of the red carpet line. And, and we stood there and we, and we nice. did our interviews and, and, and took pictures and everything. And um, I also got to meet uh, some fellow journalists, including a great guy by the name of Tori Mel from, from IGN who has a Stargate tattooed on his back. Wow. That man is a genuine Stargate fan. It's a big tattoo. I mean, it, it takes up his entire back. Uh, he, the guy was, uh, we, uh, we watched the, the premiere together, and, and I've seen the movie twice, and so I got to watch him get excited over, over every little detail that uh, hasn't been unspoiled. So it was, it was really something. And did you come back with anything on your back? Just a uh, backache. <laughs> <laughs> just happened to me earlier today but no it's the that midway premiere was once in a lifetime opportunity and and several fans got to um got to come aboard the ship and uh enjoy it with us afterwards there was a uh, a vip party everyone was there for that uh from from the cast and uh, and crew who had uh, seen the the premiere with us they had some flight simulators in there and i i watched Rick and Brad jump into one and and kill themselves several times in in one of these devices. It was it was pretty funny. Martin and Jewel also also pretty much everyone pretty much everyone played in the flight simulators. I didn't I didn't bother too much though. I was uh, having a really good time mingling. I met uh, Charlie Cohen, mm-hmm. president at MGM, and what a great guy that is. You know, I I regret not getting my picture taken with him because. Uh, he he visits us every once in a while too, and that I I didn't expect that. I knew he was yeah. a fan and all. He's a big fan I of Stargate. Oh, I I know, and I, I knew that. It's just you know I didn't I didn't think that he would go out of his way to to look us up on the internet, but he knows of us, and that was that was very rewarding. Mm-hmm. If Charlie's out there, I give him a big shout out. It was great mm-hmm. to meet the guy. Friday morning, were you ready to to go home? That was just uh, all the fun you could take. <sighs> Friday morning, I was really looking forward to because of the um, the Stargate panels. Yeah, there were, Some, there were three of them back-to-back, Continuum, three of them. Stargate Worlds, yep. and Atlantis. This room was huge. It had, a, it had a, an occupancy of like 4,500. Mm. It was crazy. I don't think there was a seat empty. So especially with Rick there, and Rick has never done a Comic-Con before, it was quite obvious that he uh, was just eating it up. He didn't want to leave. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's so great for me to hear out of Comic-Con that that room packs out so much and that Stargate really gets so much attention there. Because it seems oh, yeah. like we cover Stargate, obviously, 365 days a year. It seems like 
a lot of uh, other media sites really focus on other shows. They focus on the big broadcast network shows like Lost and Heroes throughout the year, and uh, it's just an occasional Stargate story. So I kind of wonder sometimes how much attention Stargate's going to get from the media. Yeah, you know, a lot of most of the media is out there to uh, focus on what brings in the most money. And it's it's nice to find a convention or two out there that uh, that focuses on what uh, makes the best product. And that's that's what Comic-Con does real well because Comic-Con is all about the nerd and the geek being cool for 5 days out of the year. And we all get to go and make a mess of ourselves and dress up like Wolverine or a Predator or Spider-Man. You know, this is just really, really great. Yeah, so, there, there are proud geeks there, aren't there? Very proud geeks. There are people of every shape and every color. And if, if you ever feel like an outcast, you need to go to one of these things, get a really good costume, and you're a hero. Because if, if, you, if you dress up well, I mean, people dress up to, to become famous for a few days, you know, where they get to walk around and get their pictures taken with other fans who admire their talent for coming up with such a, such a well-designed costume. There was mm-hmm. a lot of that, a lot of it. And uh, to fulfill my, uh, my wish of, of dating a Wookiee. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I teased you last I, week about that. Yes, I, I was like, uh, I was talking with my buddy Sam, who's in a lot of pictures. I said, Sam, you've got to look out for a Wookiee because <laughs> I've, got, I've got to get my picture taken with a Wookiee. I've just got to do it. I laughed so hard when I, I, you sent me that picture of uh, David and the Wookiee. I got to ask you, point blank, on air, did you get some hot Wookiee action? Hot Wookiee action? You know, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> you know, the, you got to do Comic Con if mm-hmm. if you ever get the chance. I also met Jonathan Frakes, Will Riker from TNG. Uh, obviously, if anyone's looked at the gallery, Nicole DeBoer from Deep Space Nine: The Dead Zone, who's now on Stargate, mm-hmm. and Sirach Lofton from Deep Space Nine: Jake Sisko. So, mm-hmm. just just great. A great time was had by all. You yeah, know? you're gonna have it's to take well me with it. you next year because it's it's uh, rapidly becoming a lifelong goal of mine to make it to at least one Comic Con. Anyone within the sound of my voice, if you ever had any aspirations to go, just do it. It's so much fun. It is so much fun. If you have even the slightest shred of geek in you, do it. Just go. So how did our favorite Stargate actors do on their panels? They did really well. Martin Garrow was in true form. He uh, hosted Atlantis. That guy is, man, he's a comedian. He He really is. He literally used to do stand-up, didn't he? Yeah, uh, for the Awesome Club. <laughs> he was a part of the Awesome Club. I was a little disappointed in some of the questions that were asked at the panels. A lot of them were very broad. Like, what is your favorite intense scene from from 10 years of SG-1? And this question is for everybody. That was one of the questions that really got to me, though. I, I'd be much more interested in, in like, what, what, have you, what are you working on since since uh since departing sg1 or you know like what script has had the most profound impact on you but by and large the celebrities that are up on stage are are really good about negotiating awkward questions into something that's funny or something that is meaningful so by and large it really worked out well yeah it seems to me that those what was your favorite questions don't really go very far yeah i know they don't get a lot of traction and uh that's really too bad well to end on a positive note what was your favorite thing about comic-con (laughs) <laughs> now you're asking me. My favorite thing. 
as you well know, I'm a, I'm a huge music fan, and I think it's an extremely important part of any television show. And during the uh, Midway premiere, I got to meet in person for the first time Joel Goldsmith and his team, uh, Neil Acri and, and Rick Chaddock and uh, George, Joel's, Joel's uh, assistant. Just an absolutely amazing team of people. Joel didn't recognize me at first. He hadn't, he hadn't seen me in person. I had, was wearing my GateWorld shirt and pulled my tags aside, and I said, it's David Joel. And, and he reached out his arms and says, I need a hug. And I just <laughs> gave him this big bear hug. I'm, I'm such a fan of his, and he's, uh, he's a really great guy. And uh, it was just a pleasure. We talked for a t- over the entire week and probably a good half hour about all the things that we love about, uh, about the show, about the music that he has done, and what's in store for the future. And it was just a, it was a really good experience. That, that's one of my highlights from the weekend, for sure. So many of these events you go to and people are just miserable but i remember that there were so many there there were some times if you got into an aisle you had no choice but to follow the current of the people because there was no way to get out of it and people were bumping into each other constantly and 95 percent of the time if i accidentally ran into smashed into someone and i i had to apologize to them they'd turn around and say dude no worries we're here we're having a great time Hmm. comic-con is such a communal experience and, you know, it's, it's something that can't be told. It has to be breathed, and it has to be seen, and it has to be heard, and it has to be felt and touched. It really has become something absolutely incredible hmm. that no other convention, except for maybe Leipzig, Germany, uh, which is a little bit bigger, can compare to. The newest episode of Stargate Atlantis is Broken Ties, which aired last Friday on Sci-Fi Channel. That's our main topic for discussion today. This is uh, the first Ronin episode of the season, and you know, actually, if you think back, Ronin gets episode three uh, every year, doesn't he? He did. He tends to. He did Runner in season two when he first joined the show. In season three, he did Satita, which uh, I think may have ended up airing fourth, although it was shot third. And then last year, he did Reunion which this, uh, this episode is basically a sequel to Reunion and Ronan's Satidan Buddies. That's right. I have to say that, and I will openly admit this, I've only seen Reunion once. I was not particularly impressed with it, although to be fair, I probably need to watch it again because I'm sure that my opinion of it will be higher. I usually watch these things over lunch at Stargate Worlds, and if it was like really poignant to me or, or really kicked me in the stomach... Then I would I would probably watch it again a couple of days later. But that particular episode did not resonate with me. This one last week, Broken Ties, I was glad to be able to watch it more than once uh, and to um, feel the urge to watch it more than once because it was a I was it was much better than Reunion was. I I will I will say, in my opinion. What about you? One of the things that I was most excited about coming into this episode was Jason Momoa's chance to go psycho, to go dark side, as he put it. Uh, when we talked to him last year, he wanted to go dark side. And that's something that he requested, apparently, over the hiatus to the writers. And so uh, Joe Malazzi wrote this episode, and he was more than happy to oblige, and Ronan gets a chance to uh, be a bad guy, at least for a couple scenes. would have been nice if it was longer. But... Yeah, I do admit that. I do admit that was too short. But you know what? In truth, Jason sends himself in this episode. Anyone who's met Jason knows that he's psycho. You know, he's <laughs> just a crazy guy. He is unhinged, and that's just his personality and... It really ref- reflected in his good acting. I think this episode is second only to Satita in terms of his performance. Yeah, Jason is, is really one of the highlights of this episode for sure. His strap-to-the-bed routine at the end of the episode is, is hauntingly good, I think. 
Um, it is very good. Really shows you what it might feel like to be addicted to something like a substance and have to withdraw from that cold turkey. There he is. Hey, buddy. Buddy. So, how long are you planning on keeping me prisoner? As long as it takes to clear your head. My head is clear. Well, you may be feeling fine right now, but things are going to get pretty rough for you. We're going to get you through this. Whatever you got planned, it's not going to work. You got a choice. You either kill me or you let me go. And if you let me go, I promise I won't come after you or Atlantis. Nikki Deltari won't come after me either. Tyre's dead. Sacrificed himself taking out the Wraith Lab. Oh, he was a traitor. No, he was a good friend. We all are. You're going to realize that pretty soon. Hell, will you just kill me or set me free? Shepard! You kill me or set me free! Shepard! Jason is is uh, such a crazy, rowdy guy that Ronan is usually, in comparison, he's so quiet and subdued. And here, Ronan is obviously still Ronan, but he, he really got to break out of the box in some key scenes, I think. It was important, I think, and really good for this uh, for this actor to get a chance to stretch his legs like this in this episode, you know. And and like Jason has said, you know, he wants to go dark side permanently before this character is done. I think he wants to make this character a tragic one ultimately. Hmm. And I really hope that the Atlantis writers and the producers are willing to be so bold. That would be extremely bold. Yeah, and I think oddly satisfying in a strange way. Yeah, you know. Ronan replaced Lieutenant Ford, and Ford kind of went that direction, but when he came back for the for the season two, mid-season two-parter, he was he was kind of a good guy. He was kind of still mm-hmm. an, an ally that it was not somebody you were necessarily really afraid of. Mm-hmm. Tyre's, I have to admit, Tyre's end in this episode, the, the journey for Tyre in this show yeah. is something that I hope will be a journey for Ronan over the course of perhaps a season where he gets to really be evil and the very end snaps back to us and sacrifices himself for the greater good. Yeah, I think uh, another highlight of this episode was Mark Dacascos's performance as Tyre. He, he was um, good. He gets, he, gets, he gets this little arc, this, this little two-episode arc, where he's, when we catch up with him in this episode, he's basically a drug addict who is strung out and has been cut off from his source, and he'll do anything, even sell out his former best friend, to mm-hmm. get his fix. Yeah, I think there are a lot of uh, real-life connotations from this, uh, from this episode. You know, I think, I think this episode says a lot of things. I think it talks about family a lot and about loyalty. Loyalty is a big note in this episode. Yeah, loyalty and, is, is a big note for Stargate in general. The, the continuing theme over the years of of how we don't leave our people behind. Exactly. You know, that's that's. I think I think uh, what Woolsey, I mean, what Picardo was talking about as the main thing. I think that's our main thing. Yeah, our the Stargate Prime Directive: we don't leave our people mm-hmm. behind. Mm-hmm. Be yeah. true to be true to your fen- friends, but by extension, but most importantly, be true to yourself. I'm kind of a little bit surprised at Tyre's end. And I'm not sure how much of a redemption it is. The decision to stay behind in the lab, I wonder if that's really necessary. By the time he's gotten to that point, he's withdrawn from the Wraith Enzyme, and he's largely healed in body, if not in mind. So it's mm-hmm. kind of surprising that he, he's saved from his predicament and then goes in and decides to sacrifice himself to help everybody yeah. get out. 
Is yeah, that, I is think that really the only, necessary? Right. I, I think he saw that the only way that he would truly be saved, he wasn't going to be saved until he completed his mission, which was to detonate the C4. I was wondering about that. You know, it, the enzyme or whatever is in his body clears, and he's like, okay, let's snap to and, and go after Ronan. And Shepard's like, okay, let him go. And Woolsey's the only one going, whoa, 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 are we sure this is such a good idea? Yeah, this guy led you and, under a trap last time. Who's to say he's not about to do the same exact thing? Yeah, you know, I found that really surprising. And then when he uh, when he switches sides, or supposedly does, I frankly didn't buy that. I knew I knew that he was going to rescue them. I'm not sure if the writers intended for us to uh, see through that as well. Yeah, I've, I thought um, that, that little switch when he he's turned on Taylor was was a bit transparent. Yeah, and if I was the wraith, I would I would have locked him up as well. <laughs> so, at first, I thought that Tyre was maybe being a little suicidal. He felt like he was never really going to truly be redeemed until he had he had made the ultimate sacrifice. That he there was no way to really save him from what the mm-hmm. wraith had done to him and making him a wraith worshiper um, mm-hmm. without his death. But, you know, as we talk about this, I think a lot of this decision was informed by his Satidan values. Um, mm-hmm. Think about what Ronan did when we saw Ronan's death at the end of Season 4 in the alternate timeline in The Last Man. Ronan is in a wraith lab, and it looks like he doesn't really have any way to get out and accomplish his mission. So his decision is, without hesitation, that he's going to detonate that and accomplish his mission, even if it means sacrificing himself. That seems to be maybe a Satidan value that mm-hmm. was informing Tyre. So Tyre's decision is not suicidal as a result of his enzyme addiction uh, and what the Wraith had put him through, but was a result of his commitment to Satidan values coming back. Yeah. It was really great to see also Solon Sencha come back as well, and the same actor who played him before. That was rewarding. Yeah. And I'll, I'll admit, I, I didn't care about the Tyre character until this episode, and when he blew himself up, I was disappointed that he was that he was gone. But it was it was a very rewarding disappointment as well because you know this this character did go out with a very very positive bang, and you know it, it's nice to see a recurring character who you think is dead actually die. As a friend of mine pointed out, it's, you know, he accused the writers of being indecisive. You know, just tell us what frickin' happened to this character, you know? Was that friend named Darren? Well, I wasn't going to say. (laughs) One of my biggest beefs about Atlantis is that the writers, uh, not just Atlantis, but SG-1 in its later years also, is the writers tend to sidestep some of these big commitment issues. The writers have commitment issues, I think. Uh, they're not necessarily willing to commit to a major character change or a character death because they want to leave the door open if if an episode really works or a character really gels to bring them back in the future without a really kind of extreme, you know, extremely implausible sci-fi explanation for resurrecting them, uh, which well, we've seen once recently. Well, it happens. It happens so much now. You know, so we have with, Ford, with Ford is and around with Arus and you know, at at, at what point it's, it's it's one too many. Yeah, you know, I just and... I don't find Ford's story satisfying because it doesn't have an end. I don't care if he yeah. dies. I don't care if he turns into a bad guy. If he's never coming back, then then I find his episodes mm-hmm. in season two to be to be very mm-hmm. unsatisfying. So to mm-hmm. see Tyre come back and meet this kind of an end, it's whatever you think about his end. I think it's satisfying that the writers decided to exactly to give him an end and commit to yeah. That. The straw that broke the camel's back for me was Michael at the end of uh, the opening to this year. And it's like, come on, Oh, you know he's coming back. You know that this guy is not fine. We're a little bit smarter than that. Treat us as such. And and with this episode... Well, I think they know fans are going to figure that out. 
Yeah, you know, but with with Tyre dying and going out in such a big bang and and bringing a firm conclusion to that character, I was like, yes, yeah. we've got it. Of course, you know? speaking, so that's... Of, speaking of commitment issues and killing off characters, there's the famous story that Brad Wright tells about the end of SG-1's first season where they exploded, or no, I'm sorry, that's the season two premiere where they exploded Chlorel slash Scara and Apophis and then found out that the fans really liked having Scara around. So they added that scene... Uh, they digitally added Chlorel into the scene where Apophis transports off the ship. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was very clever. When, which proves now that they wouldn't necessarily have had to do it for us to buy it. Because we'll believe anything as long as they tell us. <laughs> now, the B story in this episode is uh, all about Taylor and her decision as to whether or not she's going to rejoin the team on permanent active duty. This is something that was raised, I remember, at the end of Season 4. Shepard makes this, this comment in in Carter's office about about how the IOA is going to be surprised when Taylor rejoins the team and she gives this look that that says well maybe I'm not so sure. Yeah. You mean not not so sure that Taylor's coming back? Yeah, she she was not sure until until obviously she made the decision in this episode as to whether she was going to mm-hmm. be willing to risk herself and go out into the galaxy and fight the Wraith with right. a newborn baby at home. Well, we all know that Rachel is slated for 20 episodes. So, you know, you could drag it along like they did on SG-1 for bringing the band back together in Season 9. Or they could, they could bring it together faster. And I was, I was afraid that we were going to go spend half the season with Taylor mulling around, huh, should I, should I not, should I, should I not. No, and, there's and no way. They, they could yeah, do that they, for half season. She'd get fired. Yeah. Taylor would get so, fired by Woolsey. <laughs> so I'm glad that they, they, brought, they brought this to a proper conclusion. And you know, it was great to see Kanan, too. I was not expecting that. Yeah, you know, we talked about Kanan in the, the last episode of The Seed. There's some exchange between Woolsey and Taylor about Kanan's fate. We find out that he's he's been dehybridized. Yeah, he's been cured. Is, is ready to come home and be with mom and baby. When Broken Ties starts with Taylor and Ronan talking about Kanan, I thought, man, are we ever going to see this guy or are we just going to be told about yeah. him and, and his story? Uh, so I was very happy to see him there in Atlantis, you know, fully healed and restored and, and trying to do daddy work. So you think Kanan is going to have an axe to grind with Michael? I sure hope he does. If uh, if not, I mean, he should. It'd he be, really should. It would be nice to add a third dimension to that character. Yeah, I mean, the Athosians are extremely prideful, and they have a right to be because they've gone through hell. And, you know, Michael has been tampered with. Taylor has been tampered with. Her baby has been tampered with. You know, it's not up to just to Taylor to just go out there and bitch slap Michael. I would make it a family affair yeah. if I were in his place. You know, I would leave the baby with, with Wolsey, who we know takes care of him so well, and go out <laughs> there and, um, and take him out. I really would. Once they find out that he's still alive, if he is still alive, I think, uh, I think that would happen. You know, it's just a matter of whether or not it does. Yeah. Well, speaking of Woolsey, he's got some really great moments in this episode. I think he's he's slowly but surely coming into his own. Props to Joseph Malazzi and to Robert Picardo for, for scripting and then acting some of these great little moments. Like, Woolsey has a problem getting the doors open. Uh, <laughs> and the baby handoff and the, the line about uh, his Yorkie. Yeah, and Woolsey which says, we saw the picture of. We, we saw the picture of the Yorkie. I hope they show that. You know, it's yeah, a really Woolsey cute has it in dog. his office. When you're watching the show, check behind Woolsey's desk. I think on the right side, the right-hand side of his desk is a picture of the dog. And Woolsey really says big in, this, picture. in this forlorn way, I never really got to say goodbye. Loved that dog. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, the sad part of it is I know exactly where he's coming from. <laughs> it seems like Woolsey is really uh, making a deliberate effort to come across more sympathetic to the team. This scene with Taylor in his office where he's trying to give Taylor advice, he's trying to come across as very compassionate and understanding and, and sympathetic, which is very new for this character. You know, the only way that these two groups are going to get across to another, being Woolsey and, and, uh, and, and Atlantis... Or if they can relate to one another more. And I'm glad that the main, the main reason they're doing it, of course, is so that we learn more about the character, you know, because it's, it's, it's time now that he's around so much that we can learn more things about him. But also, you know, this is a chance to learn about his humanity and actually, actually make him a real character. Yeah, yeah. And I like that they're not shoving him down our throats at all. He's just getting these, this handful of a few nice moments sprinkled into an episode that otherwise he doesn't really have a lot to do in. Exactly. And very, very well done. You know, it's not forced at all. And let's let's face it, I mean Woolsey will never be no never be no doctor. But I'm I'm glad uh, just just as just as Mitchell was never no Crichton. That's I mean I remember talking with Ben, I said, you know, you have uh, your work cut out for you to make Mitchell uh really interesting, you know, because Mitchell's a military man and all Crichton had to follow was his heart. as little of Farscape as I've seen, you know, that's the indication that I got. And the doctor had no boundaries as well. And now we've got this bureaucrat here, and it takes an effort to make them humorous, and uh, it's working so far for Woolsey. Yeah, I agree. What's your overall grade for Broken Ties? Do you think that it's a little too formulaic or too predictable, or or when you watched it again, did it really hit? I'd probably have to give it a B-, uh, maybe a B. There was some great acting in it, man. There was some great acting in it. But as far as the story goes, it was it was predictable in a lot of ways. But as I as I said, you know, the the redemptive element of it was was a great B story. If Picardo was the C story, then it was a great C story. And Jason Momoa just really kicked butt with his acting. As as we knew he would, you know, I mean that guy could act his pants off. Yeah, I think there's some really outstanding moments in this episode. Uh, as a whole, I agree it's it's not going to go down in history as the best that Atlantis has ever done. I think it's one of the more predictable episodes. It's it's more formulaic, especially in terms of Tyre's loyalties uh, going back and forth. But it's it's those little moments. It's it's Jason strapped to a bed. It's uh, the sheer horror, knowing Ronan's deep hatred for the Wraith, to to see Ronan so helpless and to see him being fed on. And it's, mm-hmm. it's those little Woolsey moments and, and the little Taylor moments where she has to come to this crisis decision. Even though the episode overall is is maybe a little bit more middle of the road, those moments, I think, really stand out and really shine. Ronan, as a Wraith loyalist, deserves a two-parter rather than eight minutes. Yeah, That I was agree. very well done. There's a story there, man. That's what I loved about SG-1's threshold in season five because we never really saw that before. Teal'c was always would never turn his back on Apophis at all. And then when when Apophis plugged him back into the sarcophagus and basically rewrote him and Tilt came out as a true loyalist Jaffa, that was good. We saw how, how good and how how much he loved being loyal to his god, you know, and and, uh, and seeing that for Ronan with, with this Wraith, you know, we've we've never we've never seen this character subservient ever. Yeah. He's always been an alpha male. And always been on his own, uh, even with Shepard, you know, he uh, he respects Shepard. That's the only reason why he doesn't cross him as often as he could. This was this was this was a different direction. And it's something that I hope we really see more of before the end. 
Yeah, obviously we don't want to have a full retread of Threshold, but I think it, it would have really been nice to see more than just a few minutes of evil Ronin. It's too bad that it didn't get to be a little bit more of an arc. Yeah, I know, because when they bring that, if they do bring that thread back, then there are going to be fans like, well, didn't we kind of see this before? All in all, it was a good episode, and I, I can't wait to see what they do with Ronan next. Let's check into our viewer mailbag and see what fans have written in the last week. You want to start us off, David? Uh, Dips of Jazz says, I've just listened to both podcasts, one after the other, and have to say how much I enjoyed them. I enjoyed the laid-back feel of the chat between Darren and David. I liked that each segment was just long enough to entertain me without dragging, but I'm also glad that you've decided to leave the podcast spoiler-free. I'm sure more people like me will listen without worrying about any spoiler content. Yes, I'm glad we're leaving them spoiler-free too, Dips of Jazz. Uh, those few who uh, don't know know that I'm uh, I'm a bit of a spoiler phobe, and Darren's the spoiler whore, so we all compliment each other. Yeah, we talk about upcoming episodes and, and plot lines a whole lot on the website. Hopefully we try to protect them behind spoiler warnings as much as possible. And obviously there's a whole lot of conversation on a forum on a daily basis, but uh, it's, it's definitely going to be nice to keep these podcasts spoiler-free. But if we're spoiler-phobic to the extent where we don't talk about upcoming episodes at all, we're really doing this, um, this series a disservice, and we're not reaching its full potential. So we do have to toe the line as opposed to, to walking 10 yards from it. I hope you appreciate that we're trying that. As far as the podcast goes, though, I think uh, these segments should drag on. I think uh, by the time the segment's over, people should be really bored. Yes, yes, I think so, too. I think it would be great for ratings. Yeah, we'll try to drag that out a little more. David Horvath sent us some great audio advice, which hopefully will be increasingly reflected as the podcast goes on. He also said, you guys reference a lot of shows, such as the episode Avalon or I Loved Redemption. He says, I've seen every episode twice, although I'm not good with titles. If you said, well, that episode was about, or just some sort of one-sentence recap of the episode, then I could say, oh yeah, that was a great episode, just for us who don't remember every title. What do you think about that, Darren? I think uh, it's important to sort of strike a balance. We're obviously addressing Stargate fans in this podcast, but not every Stargate fan is as encyclopedic with their names and dates and episode titles as you and I are. People may have noticed in in this podcast in the last two weeks that every once in a while we'll throw in an actor's name or or an episode title and I'll sort of stop you and and sort of say, yeah, that was from SG-1 Season 2. Yeah, you know, I think... I read this question beforehand before we got started, and I'm really on the fence about it because I must go reference like 10 episodes uh, from the show in in any given podcast, you know, and if I I go out of my way to describe what that episode is about, that really slows us down. But I I would like to to try, as I already have earlier in this show, mentioning what series it was from and what season it was from. We definitely want to try and meet people halfway, I think, by, you know, at least giving a, a season number. So where that was, you know, Redemption was the two-part season six opener. It uh, it doesn't take too much to stop and say that and then continue on. But yeah, yeah we no, should, I uh, can. We do want to do show notes for every episode and start to provide links to some of those episodes. A wraith named Bob. I was thinking that it would be cool if you could get some of the Stargate novel authors from Fandomonium on the show to talk about their books. I'd love to see that. David, you and I have talked about this uh, just in the last week or so about how cool it would be to expand the podcast to have some special guests who maybe join us for our discussion topic or do some little mini interviews with people like uh, the book authors. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that we've drawn uh, plenty of attention with this podcast series already, and we we, we have approached 
some folks to appear on the show, and I think it's I think the response has been unanimous yes from everybody so far. Yeah, we uh, definitely want to get our feet under us with a few more episodes and then start to branch out and uh, include some other people like that. I think it's a great idea. Stargate Lover writes, Great podcast, guys. I have a suggestion. You guys should ask a question for us viewers to answer and then talk about the responses the next week. Well, that's a great idea, I think. So here's a question. We'd love to hear your feedback by email or by posting in the comment thread on the website or on the forum, and we'll get a way lined up in the future for you to get your voice on air. So here's this week's question. Do you think MGM is about to greenlight the third Stargate movie, the third TV series, Stargate Universe, or both or neither? Tell us what you want to see from Stargate and why. Don't forget our next podcast is a bonus episode this Friday. We're talking all about Stargate Continuum, so pick up the movie and be sure to watch it because we're going to be spoiling it pretty thoroughly as we have our post-movie conversation. And then we'll pick up next Tuesday, August 5th, with the Daedalus Variations. Stargate Atlantis is taking the week off the following week for the Olympic opening ceremonies. So in our Tuesday, August 12th episode, we want you to pick our main discussion topic. Write in, post on the forum, tell us uh, what you think is a good topic for us to talk about, and send in some of your thoughts too, and we'll read them on the air. As long as they don't get to vote on which one is the uh, the most important topic, because... Uh... That would be kind of embarrassing if they said, you know, let's talk about underwear. You don't trust democracy? Um, no. (laughs) August 19th, we're talking about episode 5 of Atlantis, Ghost in the Machine. And we'll have some clips here in the next week or so from our interview with Michelle Morgan, who returns in that episode. And on August 26th, we'll welcome one or two special guests for a conversation about episode 6, The Shrine. That episode I am really looking forward to, man. The preview photos for that look really interesting. Thanks for spending your time with GateWorld today. In this episode, we talked about Broken Ties, the third episode of Atlantis' fifth season, and we debriefed David about his big trip to Comic-Con. We also previewed our upcoming interview with actor Michael Shanks. Be sure to look for that on the website later this week. If you'd like to send us feedback, just email webmaster at gateworld.net, post on our podcast feedback thread at GateWorld Forum, or visit the show notes on the website and post a comment there. We'll see you back here on Friday for our Stargate Continuum talk, and next week we'll pick up with episode 4 of the Daedalus Variations. From GateWorld.net, this is Darren Sumner. This is David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Podcast.